0: The pious and elaborate treatise concerning prayer and the answer to prayer by John Ronald Lamfrey. We're up to chapter 10, which is a chapter on some encouragements to prayer. Again, our quote that he's given us from John 14, 13 and 14, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, both the necessity of prayer and we spent some time uh, talking about the averseness and, and why people are averse to praying. In this chapter, Brown lays out uh, thirty reasons, <coughs> or what he would call encouragements, to pray. And while there is um, there is certainly overlap <coughs> when we consider the. Um, uh, the various encouragements, there are a number of points we would say, well, that's similar. Nonetheless, each one of these, in a sense, is building on the others, and there's an interdependence. And the reason for that, I think, is, is this. True doctrine, Uh, things which are true, things that the Bible wants us to understand and believe, uh, those things are encouraged uh, in a number of ways. And because truth is seamless, there is an interdependence. You should expect to see an interdependence. But as we're defending one doctrine, we're, we're defending all doctrine, all true doctrine. Right, as we're discussing and expositing on one truth, we really have reason to make mention of all kinds of things that are true. <clears throat> so as we go through this, I, I just want you to keep that in mind. Uh, there is an emphasis in each one. Right, Each one is its own encouragement, but it's not an encouragement alone. Each is an encouragement in what we might consider uh, a cluster of encouragements that we can find in the Bible, particularly as we meditate upon some of these things that he's going to uh, raise. And so, you know, he's begun, he begins his chapter by pointing out, of course the wicked have no delight in prayer. Of course unbelievers aren't interested in uh, taking up the enterprise of prayer. No surprise there. Prayer to the true God or to their false God? even you know even when they do it to their false gods you know unbelievers, when they do it to their false gods, <coughs> it's it is by its very nature going to be rote. it's going to be conscripted. Uh, there's not burdensome to some extent. Uh, yeah it's it, it, it will be burdensome to some extent, right Because fallen men are, obeying those commands as a covenant of works, even though uh, they can't really uh, benefit by it as the covenant of works would would have made uh, certain uh, benefits available. They don't have that. But they still uh, cherish that false hope, I guess, that they can can somehow uh, be good enough, be... uh, diligent enough, be devout enough that they will find acceptance with God on their own merits. You know, again, this is one of these... um, Frankly, I I, I think of it as a bizarre thing about fallen man that he would want to try to find acceptance with God on his own terms. Why... Uh, so many people uh, seem to have any concern at all. It, it just seems uh, bizarre to me. <clears throat> Nonetheless, I know that they do. And, you know, it, it is ultimately it's a function of conscience and uh, the work of the law written on their hearts and, and so on. But God, in his word, has given, as Brown points out, a number of encouragements to believers, a number of things, uh, considerations, that should make you want to pray, should make you eager, in fact, to pray. So, for the most part, we're just going to cover these encouragements, although at one point... Uh, there is, um, there is a, a side note that I'm going to point out. So there are 30 encouragements that he's going to list. We're beginning at question 205. Uh, what is the first encouragement to the duty of prayer? So the first <clears throat> the first encouragement is that the Lord would even allow us to call upon his name. The idea, and his point is this, <coughs> that God would open a door of grace to a bunch of rebels.
1: Because we don't even deserve to know who he is.
0: Yeah, we we're, we're heirs of his wrath and curse. <coughs> we are... By nature, uh, we're we're just totally gone astray, and yet, uh, by His free grace and mercy, there is a door open. <clears throat> and He says, you know, there's there's hope for the living, right? I mean. Fallen angels or souls that have now been consigned forever to hell. There's no hope for them. People who have perished outside of the faith, there's no hope for them. But he's saying there's hope for you. You're living. Take hold of that. All right, the second encouragement to the duty of prayer, 206, is not only does God open a door of mercy and free grace, but he actually calls us to this duty of prayer under pain of his his displeasure. So he not only opens the door... But what, what Brown is saying is he's standing there, as it were, in his word, telling us if we don't come, it, it is a displeasing thing to him.
1: And yeah. I'm guessing the next point is he enables us to pray thing, correct?
0: Well, we, we, we'll get to that. Yeah, there, there's, that's, there's something to that effect coming. So he says, you know, there. Here, here we have the, an open door of grace, and God is saying, by the way, if you don't make use of it, it's a displeasure to Him. And so, the third encouragement to a seven. The third encouragement is that the Lord actually challenges people for their neglect of this duty. And he charges uh, charges them with sin when they lay it aside. So, first of all, there's this open door of grace. Second of all, we're told that God is displeased if we don't avail ourselves of this. And then third, when people neglect it or lay it aside, when people are negligent in this respect, God actually does charge them with sin. You know, and and Brown, Brown says, "You know, why? Why should you make yourself more guilty before God?" But the fact is, these things are all working together. All right, number two hundred eight. What's the fourth encouragement to the duty of prayer? This one, um, this one, I think, is, is an interesting thing to think about. And that is, Brown points out that the Lord takes special pleasure and delight in the prayers of his people. <clears throat> and so, for example, <clears throat> he points out in Proverbs 15.8, that Solomon says the prayer of the upright is his delight. And in Song of Solomon 2.14, that Christ uh, is speaking to his bride, and he says, O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely and uh, he says that you know this and he points to other verses in the Song of Solomon uh, these things he says are all indications that God finds a certain uh, pleasure in the prayers of his people that he takes delight in their praying unto him (coughs) So the implication is, of course, that and, and this is really um, I think the underlying argument, you know, if you're if you're the people of God and you profess to love God, <clears throat> why would you not want to do something that God finds delightsome why why are you hesitant uh, to engage in that wherein he takes delight or finds pleasure <clears throat> all right the the fifth encouragement to the duty of prayer 209 is that we we now have a fair and wide door open for access to God through Christ this is enlarging I think on, on that first point <clears throat> but pointing out to us that uh, there's, there is in this opening of the door, when we contemplate that door being opened in light of the covenant of grace, something even more expansive about it, right? <clears throat> he says, for example, <clears throat> you might think, How dare we approach the holy God? Uh, How can we think of standing before one who hates all workers of iniquity? And so on. But then, uh, we have to think God has provided a means of reconciliation through Redeemer. And that Redeemer has, for those who take hold of him, thrown open this door uh, with, with I guess, a a certain assurance we would have to say. Assurance that uh, we will be heard. (coughs) That we can approach him. Uh, that our sinfulness, our our uh, corruption, has been uh, has been covered in this atonement. Right, and by the way, that is one of the meanings of the word atonement. Uh, that that word kefer in Hebrew it it has reference to the idea of covering. <clears throat> so. He points out, Hebrews ten, nineteen and 20, uh, we have boldness and liberty to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Right? Because that door has been kicked open, uh, in a sense. And any doubt that we might have entertained, <clears throat> that we would be heard, that we would be welcomed, all of that is dispelled in Christ. And so that leads us to the sixth encouragement to the duty of prayer, 210. He says, Not only has Christ made the door open to us and given us ground for great boldness of access, but as high priest, he presents the prayers and desires of his people to God. Right? He makes them acceptable. <clears throat> we're made acceptable in the beloved, Ephesians <clears> 1 <throat> I mean, 6. All of our prayers, all of our supplications, our thanksgivings, everything that we would offer up to God has been made acceptable. You know, we might we might have said, What's the point? Right? What can I offer God? There's nothing that I can bring that that would be clean. Uh, Certainly nothing that could stand in his sight. But we can't say that because we're told that Christ ever lives to make intercession for the saints, and he offers up his atonement. in conjunction with the prayers of the saints. <coughs> in other words, our prayers <coughs> our prayers come into the presence of God not as works arising from ourselves or finding some sort of virtue or merit in ourselves, but they, their merit and their virtue is grounded in the atonement of Christ. So this too is an important point, and I, I think a good, a good point of meditation. I think Brown, um, Brown is right to bring this up. <coughs> All right, let's move on to the seventh encouragement to the duty of prayer to eleven. He says. Consider this. The Lord has taken upon himself the relation of a father in a special manner to those who are his people. But he's not simply our creator and preserver under that general and common notion. But in a a more spiritual uh, spiritual manner, more special manner, he's adopted us to be his children. (coughs) And as his children, we have great privileges set before us. the privileges that you receive from earthly parents are meager Uh, even if your parents were able to offer you all that the world has to offer it would still be meager in comparison to what God has to offer and so he says here's an encouragement here's an encouragement. God will uh, be heard or be entreated I should say. He will be entreated by his people. And he treats with them as a father does with his children. But there's There's. Um, a natural willingness because he's, he's working in them that which is well-pleasing to himself. And there is <clears throat> great honor and dignity for his people to uh, approach him as father, right, to uh, have this familiar approach. You know, the heathen don't know God in any personal manner. And a lot of times, actually, you'll hear the heathen they talk about God, and <clears throat> the way they talk about God tells you that. There is no real personal relation right They'll talk about the man upstairs. they'll talk about uh, you know the God who is out there somewhere it's, but it's an abstraction to them. You know, something far away, something that is incomprehensible, something. <clears throat> Something that doesn't really strike, um, strike a personal note. But for believers, that's not the case. Uh, believers have much more intimate acquaintance with God. There, there are a number of ways in which God makes Himself known to believers that are alien to unbelievers. You know, and, and very often God uh, makes Himself known to people in, in His people in ways that are best accommodated to uh, the kinds of persons they are. You know, but the heathen don't really have that. So that He's saying that should be a that should be a, a, an encouragement. <clears throat> From that, he moves on to the eighth encouragement to twelve, and the eighth encouragement he says is those that God has adopted; He's granted a disposition. Uh, Toward himself, which is called the spirit of adoption. And this new frame, this new disposition, is itself an encouragement to pray. Says, and he actually he likens this um, to the inclination that is in a young child for its mother's milk. You know, the young child, you don't, it doesn't need to be prodded to know that it's hungry and to know that uh, it can look to the, its mother. He says that that inclination is in the child of God. There's a, there's a natural, if you will, uh, disposition to look to God. It's a
1: natural disposition because of the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, correct? Yeah.
0: But he talks about this very strong inclination, and and that brings me to the the uh, brief diversion from looking at these points two thirteen. What should of what thoughts should overcome whatever doubts come into a Christian's mind. <clears throat> he says, if, if you, uh, whatever discouragements appear to the child of God to keep him from the duty of prayer, he says, all should be overcome with one consideration. God has implanted in me a new nature and given me a new spirit of adoption, inclining me to himself. And he says, what should be allowed to prevail with me to keep me back from that? I mean, really, you you have to strive with your maker at that point, right? You're striving against what, for the spiritual man, are natural impulses, right? That, that strong inclination to call on God. <clears throat> So building on this, the ninth Encouragement to the Duty of Prayer, 2.14. He says, um, you might say you don't have the skill or ability to pray. But when God gives you the spirit of adoption, he gives you the spirit to cry, Abba, Father. In other words, he gives you a spirit of prayer. <clears throat> he's giving you the that very thing that you <clears throat> quite frankly you lacked it before uh, he gave it to you like before you were regenerate or converted uh, there is no genuine spirit of prayer in you because you're, you're not inclined to God but now he's given you this inclination, and he's given you the spirit to pray. So you are, in fact, uh, you're able to lay hold upon that duty (coughs) that you're inclined to do. If If you are a believer, you should be inclined to it. And <clears throat> you already have the first motions of the Spirit uh, that, that comes with the territory. And so that brings us to the tenth encouragement duty of prayer, which is the Spirit is given to help us in our access and approach to God. <clears throat> Ephesians 2:13 uh, says we've access by the Spirit to the Father. So not only do you have uh, in your spirit, as it were, uh, the, the, this life principle, if you will, uh, that it, it not only inclines you but moves you to pray, But he's saying you have the Spirit of God Himself praying with you, right? Uh, Carrying you along in this duty. So your Spirit is in this, or it should be aligned with the the motions of the Spirit of God. These are all important things and these are all these first 10 I think are, are all very clearly uh, interwoven interconnected as considerations like they 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 really join together the status of of man as a creature but also and particularly as a creature taken into the covenant of grace Right, and so we're not just dealing with uh, the the natural impulse of man. Uh, that wouldn't be enough in in this case because man by nature is fallen, and he's lost communion with God. But by uh, by the the um, tendering of this covenant of grace God in Christ has opened again uh, this door and he's in every way fitted us to pass through that door Uh, in particular in in this case with respect to the duty of prayer he is from every direction uh, as pertaining to the covenant of grace he is helping us. The Son is interceding for us. He's um, he's offering up our prayers. The Spirit is interceding with us and enlivening us to make these prayers. Right? So all of this taken together is an argument, I think, that the new nature, uh, if you are in Christ, that new nature itself is arguing and encouraging you to uh, to pray to God. You know, and, and with just again these first ten points, um, <coughs> what comes to mind? is and I'm sure I've mentioned it before but that picture we have in in Acts of Paul and Ananias is concerned uh, who is you know Paul's a persecutor Paul is a bad guy Uh, he's been out there hammering the church every point he could (coughs) on the road to Damascus uh, he's converted and the, the, the mo, I, I think the, uh, the most interesting thing, the recommendation of God to Ananias to accept that Paul is changed is, Behold, he prayeth. Right? That's really, I think, the thrust of these first 10 questions. Right, now, there are other encouragements, and so let's move on to some of them. Uh, Two sixteen. What's the eleventh encouragement to the duty of prayer? Um, isn't uh, it's not encouragement enough to this duty of prayer uh, that we have occasion daily to pour out our heart before God to a bosom, as to a bosom friend? Um, in other words, it should encourage us, right? We can. We can come to God as a close and bosom friend. Now this arises, of course, from that restored relation in Christ. We we who were enemies are now made nigh. Uh, We who were in, in a state of hostility to God, we've now become friends. <clears throat> so he's saying that should encourage us to pray and he, he points out he says look if, in, in a different scenario <coughs> if you knew the prince wouldn't that be enough to encourage you to speak to him if you wanted something If you were friends, you, you know, you grew up with the prince and, and you knew him, wouldn't that be a great encouragement to go to him when you, you know, you, there's some dire situation? He's saying, in essence, look, you, you know the creator of the universe. Right? How much better can it be than that? Right, 217, what's the twelfth encouragement to the duty of prayer? He says, think about this, you can never come unseasonably to God whenever you come, right? Come when you will, never a bad time. Very unlike the human condition, isn't it? Because no matter how close a friend, no matter how intimate a relation, it's actually possible for you to make an approach at a wrong time. You know, you have to think about when you're going to approach people. Brown is saying that doesn't, that doesn't hold with God. There's never a bad time. There's never an inconvenient time. There's never a time when God is too busy, too distracted, right? Where where He's not going to be able to give you, as it were, His full attention. And He's never going to refuse to hear you coming uh, to Him, whether it's, you know. At at a time when people might find inconvenient, or um, a time, or in in a situation that people would find troubling, God God isn't looking at your condition that way, <clears throat> and goes back to. Um, The story I mentioned, I think, a few weeks ago, that the uh, the woman talking to the minister, and she's asking him whether or not it's okay to pray about small things, and he just looks at her and says, "You know, my good woman, uh, everything in your life is small to God." Right? We we think that these things are great crises that. You know, this this is an existential crisis for me. (coughs) Um, It's never that way for God. The thirteenth encouragement. Is this? A lot of times, um, people people become burdensome to other people, right? You and so you already you you just there are people you don't want to hear from them anymore. He's saying there's no case that we uh, we can be um, that we could possibly be in that's going to prejudge us in his ear. If we come willingly and come in sincerity and upright, uprightness of heart, God's going to hear us. Is, and, and he points this out in this, God wants us to approach him unfeignedly. Uh, he wants us to lay aside our sins. Those are the things that trouble us with God, not. Uh, There, there's no uh, prejudice against us <clears throat> as long as we come willingly. All right, The fourteenth consideration or encouragement to duty of prayer. Just think about this one. When we pray to God, Consider we have to do with a God who actually can help us. And it doesn't really matter how desperate our own condition is. um, He's able to help. It should be a great encouragement to us. We're not praying to some God out there somewhere who can't possibly help. It's not like a long-distance call uh, with little hope that there'll be a return. We can pray, no matter the severity of our necessity. God is able. Can raise the dead and say to the dead bones dry bones live so there's really how much more <clears throat> how much more do we need to say than that that's a lot saying a lot about the God with whom we have to do so we, we need to keep that in mind and that should be a great encouragement you know. by the way he doesn't mention it here, but can compare that with what the Bible says about, you know, the the idols of the heathen. Right? They, they they can't see. They can't hear. They're impotent. There's nothing they can do. And the heathen still pray to them. You know, the, the heathen are are actually um, uh, they're actually devout in their superstitions they do all kinds of bizarre things setting up little temples you know people put little temples in their in their gardens and they they establish you know they, they light candles in their homes and they They do all kinds of little acts of devotion here and there. Uh, These are, you know, these are really little acts of supplication (coughs) to the unknown God, or worse, to to the gods of the heathen. All right, what's the 15th encouragement uh, to the duty of prayer, 2.20? He says, consider this. The more enlarged the desire of your heart to seek great things, and he says you know, they have to be suitable to your case and good for you. But the more that fits, the more God is ready to hear and help. So the rule he points to here is a good one, of course, and, and really should be a guiding principle when we think about this, and that is What Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So if we we seek uh, we seek the glory of God first then the enlargements of our desires are going to be Much more likely to be in line with what we really ought to desire, what we really do need, and therefore what God is going to be uh, very, very much uh, forward to grant. The 16th encouragement. to do your prayer 221 we should be encouraged that God has no regard to our worth in granting the thing that we ask
1: I guess isn't that the story of Jacob when He's wrestling with with God for him to turn his heart, Esau's heart to him. You know, Jacob deserved all that. You know, but he's not he's not praying for his sake, but for Christ's sake, turn Esau's yeah, heart and, back. To him. Yeah, that, not, because in him there's enough to say, "Oh, this won't happen because I deserve this." Right. But when he lays hold on the covenant, that's when he changes. Yeah, and that's
0: and that's he, he quotes from Ephesians one three, that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. It's not because of. Who we are, or what we are in ourselves—it it has to do with who He is and what He's done for us. So everything has been granted <coughs> for His own name's sake and for Christ's sake. Right? We're, we're not—we are not—we should not be pleading. Um, that there is some worthiness in ourselves. There isn't. There's nothing in us, nothing that we are going to bring, uh, nothing that we have, there's nothing inherent that is going to um, make God our debtor. So that should be encouragement to us because, again, frankly, if, if we were to take an accounting of, of ourselves, there is nothing. We, we would have no reason for hope. All right. 222, what's the 17th encouragement to the duty of prayer? <clears throat> Uh, He he says, look, you can't come to God too often. And he he says, um, in the case of man, the more often uh, somebody comes to your door begging, the worse they are for it. Right? You, you might be inclined to help the first time. Maybe a little bit the second time, the third time. But eventually you get tired of it. It doesn't happen that way with God. And he says, "God, uh, God's beggars have a happy life. More <clears throat> you beg at God's door, the more God is going to be inclined to hear you. All things being equal, provided you, you know you're praying a right. So you're not wearing God out, you're not wearing out your welcome. You know, you're not going beyond uh, what he would have you to do. All right, what's he 18th encouragement to the duty of prayer 223 here again very much I think related to what he just said but he points that the Lord takes it well when we're importunate with him we give him no rest until he grants the blessing that we, we're seeking. <coughs> try that with a person. You know, try that with another human being. And you're gonna see that very quickly uh, you you're gonna probably wear them out. And
1: you may still get what you what you want though, like the case of that woman with the judge. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> you,
0: yeah, you, you might you might get it by by wearying him but of kind of, this of kind is of not, person. yeah. It, it won't be. It won't be like that with God. You're not going to wear Him out. You're not, you know. And He also points out in con- connection with this, by the way, <coughs> he says His delaying to answer is no ground of discouragement, but it should put us on uh, edge that we be more earnest in our pursuing what we're seeking. Again, provided we're asking according to the will of God and, and so on.
1: You mean more earnest in our seeking, our being about the uh, the means to obtain it? Is that what, that what he means? Like, we pray, but then we have to be about the means. Like, we can pray for our daily bread, but we have to go out and actually work for it.
0: Well, he's, he's saying that if you are praying lawfully, right, if you're praying, I mean, the, the presumption here is you're praying, you're not, you're not praying for something you know, wicked or sinful. <clears throat> you're praying for something uh, that is within the allowance of, of the divine uh, scheme of things. <clears throat> He's saying just, you know, if you're praying for something uh let's say, that's promised or implied, uh, lawful, but you haven't received it, lay an answer. He's saying that is not and should not be taken as a discouragement. It should sharpen you and make you more persistent in praying. So... You know, be very, very careful about that. I mean, there's um, in, in in that regard. I mean, in regard to a lot of this, uh, I, I'm a lot of these things he's talking about here. I'm reminded of the case of George Miller, who for, I forget how many decades, five, maybe six decades. He ran a bunch of orphanages in England, and um, he didn't solicit people to give. He simply prayed. And uh, there was one case I remember reading about that uh, one morning... <clears throat> they hadn't they had no food to feed all these kids, and he was praying and he, he had them all line up and go into the cafeteria or whatever wherever they fed them and um as they all sat down to eat, somebody showed up with enough food to feed everyone you know. there was a guy who was persistent in praying to God. Uh, he was doing an incredible work uh, in in that regard, and he he wasn't afraid to ask big things. He wasn't afraid to to um, press the issue, and he saw as many what I think people would probably characterize as miraculous answers to prayer as anyone but he never drew back but again he was <clears throat> he was not praying for things outside of the will of God so um, you know that's this is a minor thing that, that Brown is talking about here you know something being delayed. Don't be discouraged. <clears throat> you know, when it when it needs to be there, it will be there. All right. What's the nineteenth encouragement to duty of prayer? It says it. It should be a great encouragement that God accepts of our worthless way of going about. This duty, um, when our heart uh, is at the work, as service to Him, when we're sincerely endeavoring to serve Him with our spirits, you know, this is—I think—this is a case of of. Um, that that idea that God accepts the imperfection of our prayer. Really, the worthlessness of our prayer. Uh, He he accepts the intention of the heart (coughs) over the actual execution of the prayer. We're, we're always falling behind what, we, what our desires are if we're believers. The faithful are, are never quite hitting that mark. They're not going to, we're not, we don't enter into a state of sinless perfection. But God accepts that which is offered up in faith, as being complete or whole or perfect before him. Again, this goes back to that earlier point. Not for our sake, right? It's not because of who we are or what we've done, but for Christ's sake. Nonetheless, he is accepting of the work as intended, not as it was actually executed. Right. And, and a great example of this is you know your child brings you a, a picture they've drawn <clears throat> it's not probably going to look like Rembrandt unless your kid was named Rembrandt <clears throat> on the other hand parents tend to to take these little gifts from their children and they assign to them the intention of the child, they don't really tend to look so much at what they're actually handing them. And that's kind of the way it is with God. And that's what he's pointing out here. We're we're getting credit. Uh You know, for Rembrandt, when what we're we're turning in uh, probably isn't it probably isn't even Picasso, more like Gauguin. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, the twentieth encouragement to the duty of prayer, twenty-five. He says, "Consider this: the Lord looks on prayer as a special part of worship to Him, and that should be a, a great encouragement. We should, we should desire to be about the worshiping of God. We should." be concerned to serve and worship the living and the true God. And by the way, if we neglect this, he says we can't, um, if we neglect prayer, we can't properly worship God. right, 21, the 21st encouragement, Duty of prayer 226. He says, think about this one. The many prayer, or excuse me, the many promises of being heard and of receiving what we ask. He wants to talk about that more particularly uh, later, but he says these promises of being heard and receiving what we ask. These should be a great ground of encouragement. And he says this is really our text, and he's referring to John 14, right? Um, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That text and so many other texts are... are promising that you're going to be heard, you're going to receive what you're asking. <clears throat> if you do so in faith. And he well, I think very pointedly asks, you know, what will encourage you to the duty of prayer if this doesn't encourage you? I mean, if you weren't sure that you would be heard, if you had no reason to believe that you would receive anything, any benefit, why bother? What would be the point? Why go down that path? Why concern yourself with any of that? But he's saying, Scripture promises. And it does so not in one place, but in many places. That we'll be heard. That we will receive what we've asked. Uh, Our prayers are not going to be in vain. He says, that should encourage you. You should find that very encouraging. Um, 22, 22nd Encouragement to the Duty of Prayer, 227. You should be encouraged to pray because it's been the constant exercise of all the saints in all generations. saints of God have been, have been uh, consistently been praying people and he, he says that uh, that tells us we're not walking in untrodden territory right? we're not, this is not a new area so every time we read about others going about the duty of prayer said so that should encourage us whether we're reading about it in scripture or uh, or else we should be encouraged by this fact saints of God have been a praying people and so should you That's the point. Are you numbered among the saints of God? If you are, you should be a praying people. Very simply. All right, 228, what is the 23rd encouragement to the duty of prayer? He says, think about this. Consider how sometimes the Lord has heard the prayers and desires of carnal persons. If you are the regenerate children of God, Shouldn't be a great encouragement then for you to pray? I mean, after all, if God on occasion will answer the prayers of of the heathen, seemingly, you have much more Uh, reason, greater assurance, and confidence. This is sort of like this sometimes your father might be kind to strangers as his child doesn't this encourage you even more to approach him shouldn't this be something that causes you to approach unto him uh, more and more So <clears throat> that, that should be um, a consideration. Related to this is the 24th encouragement to the duty of prayer, 229. He says, The Lord hears the cries of the dumb beasts and the senseless creatures. He grants them what they need. This is again, uh, you know, how much more? How much more if you are, (coughs) if you're his children, how much more is he going to be forward (coughs) to grant you what you need, to give you what you uh, find necessary in life? So again, the the idea that God is more forward to um, to provide help to uh, hear and relieve uh, the afflictions of the saints or hear their prayers and and grant answer uh, to the saints. All right, twenty-five, the twenty-fifth encouragement to the duty of prayer, two thirty. <clears throat> and this too is related, I think, in in theme to what he's just said, and that is. We find the Lord has such an esteem for prayer that he has respect to it even though it's but what Brown calls half prayer. By that what he means is even when it's just our outward part pray. So here's prisoner's groan, Psalm 102.20. The size of a needy, Psalm 12.5. The voices of tears, Psalm 6.8. And uh, Hezekiah in Isaiah 38, when his prayers would, were but like the chattering of a crane or of a swallow or like the mourning of a dove. <coughs> so... Is his point again? Is you know, God has been known to answer prayers which are clearly uh, just outward prayers. They're not really prayers of the heart. They're not really rooted in the person, uh, at least spiritually but God has heard these prayers because he has such a respect for prayer. Well, again, how much more respect is he going to have for your prayers if your prayers arise from that inward motion or, or motive. Yeah.
1: Is that what's going on with Ahab or Ahaz in, in the Old Testament where like he, he he walks softly, like he he humbles <coughs> off the way? He's obviously no Christian, but he 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 does the outward act of, of obedience and like and humbling. And praying. Yeah,
0: and, and I, I think that's exactly the kind of example that Brown has in mind here. That 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 sort of um, outward conformity that gets God's attention. It's just uh, his prayers of formality in many respects, I, and and I, I say that. <coughs> He certainly desires the things for which he's praying, but he doesn't desire them for spiritual ends or for a proper end, which would be to glorify God. He's not uh, probably a believer. But God, nonetheless, from time to time in the Bible, and, and by the way, we're not not saying that Hezekiah is not a believer, uh, but sometimes believers too do the same thing. Their their prayer is a formality. The point is, God oftentimes will actually hear those prayers and answer them. Right. So, how much more? should be thought to be the case when you're praying uh, with the right spirit, with that spirit of adoption, and so on. So he's saying that that really should be an encouragement. The presumption, these last few here have been, that he's talking to people who are believers, and you have... The Spirit of God working in you and with you. How much more, if God is willing to hear, you know, the prayers of animals, or or the um, uh, the prayers of carnal persons. <clears throat> or prayers which are formalities, uh, really for two reasons, right? One, one is God has and, and indicates throughout the Bible, the Lord indicates He has a, a certain or special delight in prayer, and in all of these cases. Um, there's a real dependence there. And that's enough for God, occasionally, maybe even regularly, in the case of the animals, to grant, uh, grant their petitions.
1: Because their petitions actually are sighs and moans. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. But so if that's the case, he's saying, how much more? How much more? How much more? Right. You're, you're the child. You're a child of God the spirit of adoption, is doors being held open in Christ? I mean how much more encouragement should you have should you take from that? <clears throat> These are all examples of God's mercy to people in varying degrees, you know at least temporally, uh, people who are out of covenant with him. Right, or just the, the beasts of the earth? How much more room is there for you to be encouraged? Okay, the 26th encouragement to the duty of prayer, 231. <clears> he <throat> says, So gracious is the Lord to praying persons, that he's very often heard their desires, not only when they've been accompanied with a lot of weakness, but even when they've been accompanied with corruption and sin. And so he condescends to Thomas in John twenty twenty five. Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. Thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know? He accommodates that. Condescends to accommodate that. Well, God is willing to hear the prayers of. His people, not only in weakness, but even when there, there's sin and corruption. Again, this is another one of these. How much more, right? It, it, that should encourage you. You know, why should it encourage you? Because your your sin or your corruption, even if it's non-mortified, should not put you off from praying. So, in that case, Thomas was both actively in sin, the lack of faith, right? <clears throat> yeah. And also, um, could you say that he was praying for something that he really kind of shouldn't have been? Like the request was something that obviously none of the other apostles needed that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it was, it was according to the will of God because it was granted. Um,
1: well, Abraham prays yeah. multiple times, right, in the Old Testament for like confirming to me
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure exactly that I would would say that his his desires are entirely misplaced. But the point is, for our our purposes here, they're clearly joined with uh, not just weakness, but certain corruption or sin. Right there's something. There's something untoward in what he's requesting here, and yet God hears it.
1: Well, I guess what I'm driving at is so even if you even if you
0: feel like man I've just been a really sinful person today, like particularly sinful, that's still no excuse. To no, that's what he said. You'd still
1: be encouraged to pray. Because the Lord's prayer is "Forgive us our debts, you know, give give us a day." Well, there's firm. there's that aspect
0: of to. it too, but he's just, he's saying even even in your corruption, right, God God very often will grant an answer. How much more, however, right? If you are praying aright. You know, I mean, remember, this is not... He's he's giving you sort of a lowest common denominator, worst-case scenario, uh, and saying, well, God will hear prayer in that. He's not saying be that or do that, <clears throat> but he's saying, <clears throat> if God is willing to hear and, and grant in this case, well, you should be encouraged. Don't be in that case, but you should be encouraged. Because even if you are, there's reason to hope. All right, 232, the 27th, encouragement to the duty of prayer. He says, you should consider how not only the Lord is ready to grant your desires that you put to him, but as Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. So, how often does God, when he answers, uh, answer with way more than you Probably were expecting. You you probably uh, well the very fact that you you didn't uh, ask may well be because you didn't even think of it, right? Which is why it's beyond what you uh, above what we would ask or think. Never occurred to me. <clears throat> but yeah, that that's sort of uh, it's a better answer than, than I thought. That happens. And it happens a lot. And he's saying that should encourage you. Right. Again, that gets to that same idea, I think, that he brought up earlier. That God is answering your prayer uh, not according to the worth of of the prayer itself, but more in accordance with the desire of the heart of the one praying. But he's he's aiming in that direction. <clears throat> and that has to do with faith. Because you know, that's really you know, the intent of those who have faith is going to be very, very different. Um, and that intention and everything about it uh, takes its interest in Christ. Right. 2.33, what's 28th? Encouragement to do prayer. Since we'll consider, again, this as a as a an encouragement. Uh that the Lord not only hears you when you call on him, but he actually anticipates your desires. He's so ready to do good for his people that before their petitions are out of their mouths He's going to grant a return. Or we find that um, there is a beginning of of that, right? It points to Isaiah sixty five twenty four. It shall come to pass before they call I will answer and while they're yet speaking I will hear he says how, how much more encouragement do you need to pray to God than something like that you know, he's just sort of waiting for you to tell him what he already knows right? he's already anticipating that you need help right? you're, you're, you're going to seek uh, something from him. Right, 234. It's the 29th encouragement to the duty of prayer. It says when God has no mind to grant a particular that uh, his people might ask he discharges them from the duty and in fact inhibits them from speaking any more to him about the matter so for example Jeremiah several times is told pray not for this people (coughs) (coughs) so he says um If basically saying, look, if God, if God is not of a mind to give you, grant you, He's going to tell you not to pray. Um, and to a certain extent, this is um, this is. For us now is a, a matter that is uh, discerned from studying the Word of God. Right. And the last thing, the thirtieth encouragement to duty, of prayer two thirty-five. He <clears throat> he says, um, <coughs> consider all the great exploits of prayer consider what prayer has accomplished, what uh, what we've what we know of it um, and he starts giving a bunch of examples from scripture uh, by prayer hidden mysteries that couldn't otherwise be made known, have been revealed and um, he refers to Joseph and Daniel uh, by Prayer, great and strong armies have been defeated. Exodus and Samuel and Chronicles. Prayer will prevent the ruin of a people. Prayer has opened the womb that was shut. Prayer has wrought miracles. Prayer brought Jonah out of the whale's belly. Prayer opened the prison door for Peter. (coughs) By prayer, pardon has been obtained. Miraculous supplies. Issues from death. Deliverance from enemies. Even deliverance out of all trouble. by prayer not only have there been outward blessings had but spiritual blessings, labors in the gospel, their success and even deliverance from the devil. these are all things it gives a number of verses to list all of that It says look all of these, all of these are the result, the explicit of prayer and that when we meditate upon that that, too, should be a great encouragement for us to pray. Right. So with all of those encouragements to pray, uh, in the next chapter, Brown wants to discuss the object of worship in prayer. And that will be our next topic in chapter 11.